Welcome to the New Age Boxing Podcast in 2018. A happy new year to you all. Thank you for coming back and listening to us. With me today, we have the world's biggest internet troll. The greatest troll of all time. The Liberian (laughs) girl of trolling. The Bill Cosby of trolls. The Hollywood Hulk Hogan of trolls. The Hurricane Katrina of Trolls. The Troll of Trolls. The Troll of Trolls of Trolls of Trolls. All you're missing is six foot of like fluorescent blue hair or something in a spike. It's just proper Don King it. Maybe he's the original troll. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, we're back again. As you may have noticed, that is Mr. Terry Chapandama and we do not have Mr. Martin Theobald. He's somewhere in Centre Parks at the moment. Burning a salad and trying to eat raw eggs, I imagine, for dinner. <laughs> With a fork. You've accurately summed up Martin's culinary skill, I must admit. <laughs> I think even he would... <laughs> and he'll probably he would... blame Eddie Hearn for the dinner being shit as well. <laughs> um, so, how was your new year? Um, oh, no, no. I think first thing we've got to say, actually, is thank you to everyone. Um you know the the live event oh, went well. Further, okay, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think I think we should because the the people who will listen and they'll be like, we've picked up bits and bobs, but didn't really get what happened at the live show. So, yeah. So on the eighteenth of December of December, we did our first live show, which was in a very small theatre. We banged on about it before now, but just to bring it up to speed in a previously on New Age Boxing podcast style uh, roundup. We did our first live show, uh, which was a small theatre in Camden, the Etc. Theatre, which we, uh, I'd like to think, modestly booked out, thinking we wasn't entirely sure what the uptake of tickets would be. <laughs> we were shitting it, let's be honest. Uh, there was, what, 45 seats available, I believe. Um, we and, probably snuck a few extra in. Uh, yeah, we did. So, um, and, it, and, it, and it went with astounding success as far as we're concerned and and the the people that made that possible are you listeners out there so thank you so much it was it was a privilege and it was humbling to meet no and I, and I don't mean the the word humbling in, in the modern context in the aj sense yeah, yeah i mean genuinely humbling to meet people who had such an interest in in what we do as we've said from the start we do we do this because we love it and that's literally the only reasons we do it um and doing the live show was it was absolutely yeah it was it was an awesome experience and even more so um getting the feedback from those of you that 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 uh, were able to get along and uh seeing how much you enjoyed it so all i can say is watch this space yeah. Yeah, because for me, the moment that encapsulates the whole night is a weird one. So so we were all sat down. This is well before the event. We all sat down in the diner. And 
I'm sat next to Martin and opposite. No, I'm sat next to Andy and opposite Martin. And you can see everyone's nervous ticks are going off at this point because everyone's like, is this going to be a success? Are we on schedule? And, you know, it's a normal thing that will happen when you're about to do something because it shows you care. And I think there was a point when Andy was eating his chips with gravy. Um, Martin had a whole plate of, I think it was just a, a whole bison on there, whatever it was he was eating. <laughs> and I just had my chips and cheese, nice and simple, you know, light carbs before the main event, just enough to put a few extra pounds on. And we were there and we were there going, I hope this isn't a complete and utter dud. And I think we were all quite nervous. And then it just came that realization where it's like, all we have to do is talk. If we can talk, we will be fine. And I think once we galvanized around the idea that all we had to do was talk, uh, we came out and hopefully we put on the show for the guys. Thank you to soon to be British champion Matt Chander. Hopefully soon to be British champion Craig Richards. Um, in two years time to be world champion Umar Sadiq. Um, soon to be Hall of Fame promoter Steve Goodwin. Uh, and the biggest surprise of the lot, because I'd never, I'd never met him properly before, but a definite future star in the making, Linus Adofia, who the feedback around Linus was really good. Because I think people knew Umar and they knew Craig and they followed their stories on our podcast. But Linus and Matt definitely seemed to pick up a few new fans, profiles increased. So guys, honestly, follow those two men if you don't follow them already. Follow the rest of them as well. Steve, Umar, Craig and so forth. Great young fighter. Steve is elevating the game as a promoter as well. So, you know, we managed to pull together what I thought was a damn good show. Um, we have the itch to do it again. You know, and if we do do it again, I, I expect we will top what we did before. So watch the space, as Andy said. I'll tell you, in terms of nervous energy, and I, it may well have been chips. I think I did have chips and gravy, didn't I? Wet, <laughs> wet fries, I think they called them yeah. at the diner. <laughs> you asked for more gravy. But it was <laughs> the, the thing that really sort of emphasised my nerves the next day was when I was trying to put my shoes on and I couldn't tie my laces properly because I'd bitten my fingers to the point where they were so sore that I was struggling <laughs> to tie my laces. Oh my God, the, the last... Oh, I, I'm sure I qualified as a cannibal the amount of m flesh I'd consumed off my fingers. They were red raw the next day. But, you know, that was all worth it to, um, to have that experience with you guys. And, uh, yeah, once again, thank you everyone who could come. Um, those of you who couldn't come, those of you who, who didn't come, weren't able to come because of ticket shortages, whatever, um, you know, stick around. Hopefully, um, we'll, uh, we'll have something else to announce a little further down the line. And uh, we can start, yeah, hopefully get you along next time, should there be a next time, which obviously <laughs> I'm hinting at that there will be. <laughs> but there's nothing to announce as yet. Having said all of that... Let's move on then. It's to, back to business. Uh, unless you've got anything to add about your uh, New Year's Eve, anything was there anything? No, else? I'd major back problems from the twenty third till about the twenty eighth, twenty ninth. I was basically oh. fucked, to be honest with you. There's nothing worse than hearing your own spine popping, clicking, and so forth. So, if there's anyone who understands back injuries, feel free to get in touch because I'm probably one sneeze away from entering the Paralympics in twenty twenty. I love the fact that if you sneeze, you're automatically going to be one of the best athletes that's got spinal problem. If you have a spinal problem, you're literally just straight away, because you're newly injured, you're promoted to like top para para Paralympian. Wait, oh, look, so I've got two options, right? 
I'm either going to do that 100 meters thing in the wheelchair with like <laughs> the, that peacock guy or I'm going to do the shooting. I'm going to do something, right? I'm going to be okay at something. I've got two years to get good at something. <laughs> okay, um, you've got a black eye. Yeah. From? Sparring. <laughs> okay, that wasn't quite as interesting as I was hoping it was going to nah, be. No, it literally wasn't. I went in. <laughs> I'm fucking injured. But you know when, when, when you can see sparring happening and just your instincts got, I'm sure I can do three rounds of that. I clearly couldn't. Well, I, I could, but, you know, I took more punishment than I'm used to. So it wasn't even punishment, but I just caught, caught a right hand to the eye and then the flu is just drifting into the eye. That's nothing. Um, I'm currently eating, <clears throat> I'm currently eating Cheetos, which were distributed. Um, I think more people need to embrace Cheetos. Yeah, in, in their many flavors, colors, <laughs> and styles. <clears throat> anyway, eight and a half minutes into this podcast, people are not tuning in to hear about Cheetos, and nah. not once have Cheetos ever responded to our court, uh, attempted courting. <laughs> our cries for help. Um, so we will move on. And actually talk about some boxing. Totally unrelated to anything. Tati Meabold asks, define what you would call internet trolling. <laughs> and what do you think boxers should, and do you think boxers should find coping mechanisms if they don't know what, like what they read online? So this is interesting. So this came up at, the, li- at the live event. <laughs> and I think, I think it consumed a large proportion of the, as, Ro- as Ronald McIntosh would say, the fir- the, of the first stanza <laughs> of the podcast. Um, point raised by Craig Richards. Shout out to Craig. Um, good guy. Um, and as we saw the Bugliani fight, very brave man. So he clearly came with a bee in his bonnet about internet trolls. So the, so the first thing we need to challenge is, if you're an internet troll, you don't have a live show. So I don't class us as internet trolls for that very reason. I think- and to give it some context... He was asking if we, if he considered that we were, didn't he? He yeah. asked if, if we considered that we were trolls. Yes, and we're not trolls because we weren't. We had a live event to actually stand behind the stuff we say. We were there to be challenged. We were there to be questioned, and I feel we could hold our position very well. I have some sympathy with Craig and others in his position because you want to be on social media, but I guess you're not like us, if that makes sense. We're watching you, you're not watching us. So there's almost a a symmetry in profile between us as boxing fans and Craig Richards as a boxer. And that means that while Craig will interact with a set number of people, anyone can interact with Craig Richards or have an opinion on Craig Richards. And there are probably people who troll him. There are probably publications and podcasts who exist to troll him. How would I define trolling? For me, trolling is a comment deliberately designed to cause offense. That's how I define trolling. If you're sending out comments or content that's deliberately designed to cause offense, you're a troll. Or or provoke a reaction, no? Any reaction? And normally Uh, offense uh, is the easiest one to provoke? Yes, exactly. So if I was... The extreme end of trying to get a reaction out of someone is how I'd class trolling. I don't think what we do is trolling. If I if I tell you someone's a good boxer, that's an opinion. You know, a good boxer. If I tell you they're a shit boxer, that is an opinion. 
it's not me trolling. Me trolling is your girlfriend's ugly. I hope she gets chlamydia from you. You sex pest fucking borderline rapist. That's trolling. Which you would never say. No, I, I genuinely wouldn't. <laughs> not even anything example. <laughs> no, but for me, that, that's trolling. And you've, what you find with trolls is they're guys who never go to shows. They're guys who don't engage with boxing outside of a YouTube screen and maybe a Sky subscription. Because that way they don't have to be held accountable for what they say and do. We're not that. We we happily stand there and say, challenge us, question us, have an opinion that doesn't agree with us. Let's have the discussion. So I understand where Craig's sentiment comes from. I don't believe we are the source of his displeasure. And to, to be fair, like Craig and I spoke afterwards, we're okay. I think, I think it was a point he wanted to make in terms of, I just want the world to know that, you know, we're boxers and we don't like the trolling. And yeah, it's a valid point. I think, and also he was, he's, he mentioned the fact that some of the criticism that younger boxers take is sometimes to certain boxers too much for them and affects them negatively. And what he was bringing up as an, as an example is you could have a very talented, exciting boxer who is then essentially um, almost like mentally disabled by the fact that he's been getting this criticism. Um, the, 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 I didn't have a lot of sympathy for this argument, I must be honest, and you know, it's, uh, it's all I can be really in this scenario. I believe that whilst if you are a very skilled Young boxer, uh, that's that's extremely exciting. But much the same way as you have to have the strength of character to avoid the temptations of what most people would consider day-to-day life, i.e. Um, uh, drinking and, and, and drugs. And then as you sort of climb up the ladder, those temptations that generally come with wealth, you have to have the strength of character throughout your career as a boxer even if you start making it, to avoid those things and focus on the job at hand, you're going to have to have those skills from the outset to be a more resilient character when it comes when it comes to criticism that you may have to take on. Now, frankly, what it, what it boils down to for me is it shouldn't matter where the criticism is coming from. You should be able to... T- I mean, within reason, obviously, the people closest to you, but then... People who are closest to you shouldn't be making obscene criticisms at you and trying to, you know, prevent reactions. But as long as it's constructive from those around you, those outside of you, and that would include, for example, us and randoms on Twitter, for example, that should be water for ducks back. And if you don't like it, then then remove yourself from every scenario that you're going to hear it from. I, I can't I can't think of any other advice that would be applicable other than that. So, so, so I almost turn it back and say, I think the, the boxing Twitterati have a dilemma here. It's either use the platform to troll boxers and what they end up doing is outsourcing the management of their accounts to somebody. And then you complain that the boxer's not actually responding to you. Or you say, actually, I need to keep him on online and engaged therefore i need to moderate how i behave this is why most premiership footballers don't manage their own accounts because it's not worth looking at the nonsense you're going to get in your inbox it's not worth it 
You know, we got we got a brief glimpse of what O'Hara Davis goes through over Christmas and New Year, and just some of that racial abuse that he received. Why would you even go on Twitter? Yeah, for, I don't you know, really get it. Yeah, for me, that's trolling because I doubt the guy's even racist. He's just saying that to get a reaction, and that is trolling because he'll never be held to account for what he said. You know. And did you see the um the the footballer who uh, at a game? Who uh, I can't remember the, which football it was now. Um, but was it Jake Livermore? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And it it it, it had a fan screaming abuse about his dead son or something. Is yeah, it, a baby. Is it, and, and that that for me, that's a perfect that that in text form over Twitter is is the prime example of what I would consider a troll to be. There would be like a categorical definition of what a troll would be screaming nonsense obscene nonsense just to provoke a reaction and that's and that's never been what we've done so no and it's not what this show is about this show is just about an honest well three guys honest opinions on what they've seen and what they've read whilst i wanted to i wanted to address that point i also felt almost a bit frustrated at the fact that we had to give oxygen because i i do think it's not it's not what we do at all so whilst i i felt the need at least to outline what i would define as a troll and therefore i would like to think exclude ourselves from that sort of label that was as far as i felt like i was i needed to go i i've i've addressed it more now i don't know for posterity if nothing else but uh, from that point onwards i think i totally think it's a, a flawed argument and i look i accept if you don't if you don't agree with me that's fine but i it's a it's a totally flawed argument like you say if you're willing to stand behind what you say which for the most part i don't have an opinion yeah <laughs> and when i do i'll happily stand and, behind and, it. and if you're sensitive about criticism or people having an opinion don't 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 do either yourself don't have opinions and don't criticize but we all criticize because when you're a paying consumer of something you have a right to an opinion that's the start and end of it and as boxes, you're selling a product. As fans, we consume that product, which entitles us to an opinion on you performing as a boxer, not as, not on you as a human being. Okay, moving on then with some actual boxing talk. Dogbo versus Juarez. Have I said those names correctly? Yes, you have. So, so Isaac Dogbo yes. was mandated last year by the WBO to fight for the interim title at Super Bantamweight. 122 pounds, which was Carl Frampton's old weight. And he fought, I think it was a Mexican guy, surname Juarez, forget the first name, it slips me. But they fought in Bukom, Ghana. Why is this interesting? Isaac Dogbo learnt to box in the United Kingdom. He learnt to box at the Territorial Army Barracks in Grove Park, London. He was at Fitzroy Lodge for a bit with his father as well. Um, we had him from when he was 13. So I've known Isaac since he was 13. God, it's 10 years now. And very talented young man. He he was competitive in the ABAs, well underage. And he wanted to box for GB in the Olympics as a 17-year-old. And he was good enough to do so. But GB refused to countenance, well, to countenance the view that he was talented enough. So he boxed for Ghana in the 2012 Olympics at 17. Bear around at 17 and got robbed. I think he boxed someone from Thailand and he got absolutely robbed when he was on course for a medal, if nothing else. And so he didn't get the medal. And I don't know what it is about British boxing 
but no promoter would pick him up, despite the notorious sparring sessions Isaac Dogba had with Carl Frampton. So anyone that wants to ask Shane McGuigan, Barry McGuigan, or Carl Frampton, how good was Isaac Dogbo in sparring? They'll tell you, tough as old boots and gave as good as he got against Carl Frampton. Now, the sparring sessions are notorious. But Isaac, unfortunately, has had to dirt track his career. So he's been, he's been boxing in Ghana. I think he might have boxed in the States as well. He's basically boxed anywhere that's not the United Kingdom because no one will give him the time of day here. And no one really understands why. But he's been out there. So anyone who follows him on social media, he was out training with James Tony. Um, he's been out there with Roy Jones Jr. And, you know, he's treated like a prince in Ghana. You know, I think the country of his birth and his father's birth. His father who served in our army, just for the record. Any reason as to why you might think that he, he just gets ignored so in the UK? I have no idea because if they say Chris Eubank's difficult to deal with as a father, I don't think Paul Dogbo or the Dog Bay, as the commentator was saying last night, is any more difficult. And I have so much sympathy for what they're going through because, no, Isaac is a British world champion. Yes, it's an interim belt, but do not expect Magdaleno to fight Isaac for that because it's more hassle than it's worth. But sometimes people just don't want to work with you and I, I don't get it. Um, if Isaac was a heavyweight, they'd have, they'd have swallowed their pride and signed him. Look at it that way. Isaac Dogbo is a class actor, as a human being. I like him. He's fought his heart out. And if anyone has seen the fight, find it on YouTube. The left hand he drops Juarez with. And it wasn't full power, but it was the benefit of timing and being able to generate the snap in your punches. He, he hit him so hard. The effects took a second and a half to kick in, but the guy was there for a second and you thought he had taken it. And then the lights went out. And that was the end. The ref stops the fight. Isaac's now the interim champion. Um, you know, what do you do from there? He's 23 years old, so you don't fight a Rigandau. Although in my head, I do think that would be a good fight. But look, Isaac Dogbo, there's a guy everyone should get behind. Um, you know, what is he? Isaac Royal Storm Dogbo on Twitter. Get behind him. Hell of a fight. Worth watching. And that Bukom Arena, Jesus Christ. Um, Andy, I don't know if you've seen this at all, but if you want to know how crazy a venue is, so this it's got the steepest banking. Imagine the copper box, same capacity, and just shrunk by thirty percent. Right, and it's absolutely packed. It, it you can't see a walkway, you can't see anything. It is just packed with people to watch Isaac. And I thought that's the level of esteem he's held in his own country, and. If we gave Isaac a chance here, I think he'd be at that level as well because he's he's an exciting fighter. He's a guy who isn't afraid to go to war with you. Is there much of a, a field for him to fight against in the UK? Is, that, is it worth him, worth his time? Like worth, worth the time for a promoter to have him is what I mean. Well, you know, there's probably still guys floating around where you can build a name from your Jazza Dickens. I think Kid Galahad could come down and wait. Let's be honest, Scott Quigg could come down and wait. They're all they're all fights, and if if the interims turn into a full title, then Isaac becomes more attractive to fight. But you'd have to be confident you can beat him. Otherwise, I mean, he's got the way he boxes shortens careers. So as an opponent, you know you're going to lose a couple of years off your career. Mm, that's an attractive prospect, then. 
So earlier today, I put on Twitter that we were recording a podcast so that we could get your questions on. Uh, I'm assuming that a lot of you would be bursting to ask, given that we have been on uh, such a hiatus. But now we're back. I asked for some questions, and I was not disappointed. I got a load through, and you got a load through as well, didn't you? You even said, don't ask questions, ask themes. (laughs) I wish, having not been on Twitter all day, I then went on and asked for questions, so... We are swamped with stuff. There's not a whole lot to go through, but of topics for of interest uh, in the pipeline, I thought we'd get this out of the way first before we go on to your questions, which is the not exclusively, but um, heavily heavily populated female card coming up this Friday. Yeah, so this Friday, Clarissa Shields fights Tory Shonuff. I want to say Tory Nelson. Tory Shonuff Nelson. I probably got the name wrong, but she defends her IBF, I think WBA super middleweight title. She has how much interest I've been paying to this. But what makes this interesting is you've got Christina Hammer on the same card as well. And I think the fight you're probably hoping happens in 2018 is Shields versus Hammer. And, you know, lurking in the background will also be Franchon Cruz, who lost to Clarissa Shields in Shields' debut, if you remember. But it's a sign that the Americans are getting female boxing in a way that British promoters aren't. Like You're actively building up a profile for these fighters. So Franchon Cruz can come again and she can fight any one of the ladies on that card. Clarissa Shields is undoubtedly the most important female in boxing right now by some distance, and that's no disrespect to Cecilia Bracus. But Shields has two gold medals from 2012 and 2016. And she's just blitzing through anyone in front of her at the moment. So Clarissa Shields is the Anthony Joshua of women's boxing at the moment. And I don't think she gets the respect or the profile she deserves, which is a tragedy. And I know someone will tweet back going, she doesn't help herself, but she shouldn't have to. So if you... Uh, In context of what? um, She's quite outspoken. Like Clarissa Shields will talk sometimes and you wish she would you know, probably take a second to reflect. But she's 21, 22? What would you expect? Well, when when Joshua starts talking about unity with the U and the I and the, and the T with the, with, the, with, the, with, the, with, the, with the Y and then the I comes in and, and the T's are us together. and the, when But, has, but when there's has, no T in superior black race. <laughs> when he has that garbage, I wish he'd sit back, have a think, maybe take one less toke on the crack pipe and not say all that garbage again well on a side note if you notice Joshua's positioning himself differently on social media now it's very much about family and look I am a family man I'm not always partying I'm not always in a Range Rover family I look after my people you know I'm dedicated to my sport all the things you want me to do I'm showing you all of them I'm ticking the boxes you know, hopefully next year you'll vote for me in Sports Personality of the Year. <laughs> but no, if you can get hold of this card on Friday night, it should be worth watching because this will be a better barometer of where female boxing is than any of the garbage we've seen in this country. I think the, the Americans are getting it right. And my advice to female boxers is try and get yourself on an American card because they seem to have more respect for female boxing than we do. Um, just on that sports personality of the year, just let's get it down now that AJ got approximately this there or thereabouts 
This is from the BBC, the same amount of votes as uh, Tyson Fury did a couple of years ago. And Tyson Fury pissed off gay people, Christians, paedophiles, women. Tyson Fury basically pissed off Britain and still got the same amount of votes as Anthony Joshua. Yeah. So that's so when so when Eddie Hearn says he's the biggest star in world boxing, that's why we call it bullshit because there isn't a metric out there that shows AJ is. Here's an example. Whoever's on Snapchat, remember this. Anthony Joshua did a Snapchat advert for Bulk Powders. Now, Bulk Powders are a supplement company, and they're at the cheaper end of the market. You can, you can get their whey protein for like a tenner or something. It's it's mediocre oh, product. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> so they make mediocre products. They're not that great. I wouldn't use them. They used to sponsor James DeGale. Clearly, AJ is now in the mix. But when you're the biggest star in world boxing. Why don't you have a Nike contract? Why don't you have a contract with Rolls-Royce or Bentley or Jaguar? Has he got a Milan Rover, though? I don't think he has. I think he, he's yeah. hoping for one. But David Hayward, if David Hay was 25 right now, he would have Ferrari as a sponsor. He, he'd kill it. And that's what makes Joshua sick. Although I feel slightly guilty at the fact that we were talking about women's boxing and then I just sort of... We, we mentioned AJ and then just took that away and dumped straight onto uh, I think AJ the, Tour. Yeah, conclusion is that card on Friday will be a good barometer of where women's boxing is as a commercial proposition because it is essentially being anchored by three really talented female boxers. So watch it. It'll be entertaining. Clarissa Shields will definitely bring the heat and then we'll see where we end up. The heat is on. <laughs> oh, the mask slips. All right. Um... Nick Mundy asks, aside from Groves, Eubank Jr., what World Boxing Super Series semi are you most excited for? Gassiev versus Dortikos for me. Um, I'm more Bradis versus Usk. I think that's that's the fight. Because we're now looking at Alexander Usk not really as the winner of the World Boxing Super Series. I think that's a given. We're now looking at him as what could he do as a heavyweight? So we're now going to start watching him and go, let's look at how big his frame is. Could his frame sustain an extra two stone? Will it slow him down? And all of these things that suddenly become important. Because once he wins this and anchors himself as the best in the world at cruiserweight, and I think he should have all the belts at that point, there's nothing left other than to move up to heavyweight. Will he do that? Can, could he do that? He well, he's he's six four and a half, I think. So he's he's borderline in that in that sort of ballpark. But <laughs> it's, it's, it's about it's the reach. crazy to think that that's like yeah maybe. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but it's about it's about I think it's about you know what's the reach versus the other opponents, and I'd also want to know bone bone thickness. You know, has he got the skeleton to be a he heavyweight? Doesn't. <laughs> doesn't want to know so so for me that, that's one of most interest but let, let's be absolutely clear the the groves versus eubank is almost a modern day frotch groves whereby you've got one man who who has been there and done it he's a world champion now um probably not as decorated as carl was but you've also got a young hungry contender in chris eubank jr who's probably not as seasoned as Groves was. But there's enough tension between the two that this is a fight we'd all want to see. 
Speaking of the uh, Graves Eubank, I'm looking forward to that massively. Yes, um, we will all be there. So whoever whoever's going up, tweet us. Let us know if you're going to be up, what days you'll be up. Let's all try and arrange. If you're up on the Friday, let's arrange some drinks. If Saturday, we can grab something in the afternoon. But, you know, let's let's try and keep the, the social aspect of all of this going. Uh, Mayor of Brixton. Declares- Robert Martin, absolute hero. After the outstanding success of the live show, are you planning any others? Fingers crossed emoji. And if so, is it 60-40 likely to be in London again? I'd say it's about 60-40, Mike. 70-30. No, 60-40. No, no, for those who weren't at the live show, it, it was... It was an amusing diversion in the conversation. One that I really appreciate. I know people found it frustrating, but the essence of a live show is we're going to get stuff we're not prepared for. Mm-hmm. And you just have to know how to how to roll with that and keep it moving. And we did manage to keep it moving 60-40% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ricky Wright says, what's your views on the WBA ranking Joe Fournier as high as he is? Ladies and gentlemen, MC Ricky Wright. He also says welcome back to Welcome to the jungle. Um, so, Joe Fournier, this is one of my topics. Where I think. is he ra- ranked? So, absolutely no so, so, so we've got to start with who Joe Fournier is. Otherwise, the ranking <laughs> makes absolutely zero sense. Yeah, well, that would be a good start for me as well, I suppose. Yeah. So, Joe, <laughs> Joe Fournier is basically a guy who opens up nightclubs in the West End, runs them till they probably get raided by the Does police. Does he shoot for- horses? I wish he did. Oh, okay. He, he'd be out of our hair then. No, okay. But he opens clubs in the West End of London. Oh, and a farrier, isn't it? Not a fornia. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so he opens up clubs in the West End, runs them so they get shut down for various incidents of coke or people getting bottled and glassed, then opens up another one probably around the corner. But he's made a fair bit of money on it and he flaunts his lifestyle on Instagram. He is of sufficient wealth now that he feels he can buy his way into boxing and buy credibility as a boxer. I first met Joe Fournier about two years ago when David Hay was making his comeback. I think Fournier was probably on the undercard of that or he fought the Cobra in the summer. But he was floating around the gym. Not We're cordial enough, but I don't think we're mates. We definitely don't follow each other on social media. But it was always strange because I didn't know who Joe Fournier was. I'm like, where have you come from? How have you even learned to box? And the truth is, he hasn't. Weight? Um, light heavyweight. Right. Okay. So he, he's at light heavyweight, but his man with more money than sense. And he's done everything he can to gerrymander status within boxing that he doesn't really deserve. Interesting term to use. I know. How, how would you. <laughs> so, how would you gerrymander your way into boxing? Boxing, um, pay people to fall over. Notoriety. No, you just pay people to fall over, right? right? So, mate, you can get five grand to be competitive or ten grand to just fall over when I hit you. So people say it doesn't happen in boxing. Rest assured, it does. Um, so, so Fournier fights bums who fall over for him, then gets popped for. I think it was was it Nandrolone? He got popped. For, so he got like they found him guilty of taking steroids and they banned him. His ban doesn't stop. In this country, he got caught by UK anti-doping. Uh, it might have been after the his last fight. But he gets it done, so he can't box in this country till June 2018. So doesn't have a fight until, I think, tail end of last year. He goes to the Dominican Republic to basically find a school teacher, fight him, beat him. And all of a sudden, 
he's ranked number 11 in the WBA. Sounds legit. He's fought nobody. So, Andy, you could fight him tomorrow and I'd put money on you to win comfortably. I, I think you'd stop really? him. Are you'd you stop him. Absolutely serious. So, the, oh so the problem he has now is... It's pretty terrible then. He now has a ranking that people want. So I know Dan, young Dan Aziz, who, who's 1-0 and o at the moment, is more than happy to fight him. Um, I'd imagine Craig Richards would be more than happy to fight him. I imagine Adney, I'd be more than willing to fight him for that ranking. But it makes an absolute mockery that someone who's still in a band for doping is ranked with the WBA. And, you know, mem- remember we had Mendoza being interviewed and he was talking about all of this stuff and he was talking all this integrity stuff. And it shows that the guy's just full of shit. And if he listens to this podcast, and hopefully he does, he can challenge my view. But right now, if you're having Joe Fournier ranked as the 11th best light heavyweight on the planet, you're an absolute fucking joke. Your organization is an absolute fucking joke as well. Because Joe Fournier isn't the 11th best light heavyweight in London. Never mind, in South London. He couldn't do the ABAs without getting knocked out. He's not he's it's unsafe for him to be in competitive fights because the guy cannot box so it makes an absolute mockery of of everything and he gets away with it for no other reason than he's friends with david hay so all those private jets you see david jumping on fournier is paying for that all all the times you see him larking around in miami fournier is paying for that and so joe fournier comes in under that david hay wing It'll be interesting to see if Steve Goodwin has to match him on one of these haymaker shows they do in conjunction with Goodwin Boxing. Because if he does, I'd be, you know, I'd love to see who they get in the ring with him. I'd, um, I'd give myself probably a 60-40 chance of beating him. 70-30. Um, <laughs> no, I'm going to just pronounce this guy's name as Colm, which is clearly not what he wants because he's used the strange... Colm. Cutting whatever. Carlem. Um, ask Seven Wolves, what's promising about Ahara Davis's career? How is this bum even hyped? He looks clueless any time I've seen him. Um, can you see any... Is, do you, how do you feel about that statement? He didn't look clueless smashing the life out of Tom Farrell. Tom Farrell is a reasonably competent boxer. So do you see any credence in that argument? Do you see where, it, what angle he's it, coming from? It comes from a place of, I don't like O'Hara Davis, <laughs> yes, which is fair enough, okay? It seems to say, doesn't it? <clears throat> All right, you don't like O'Hara Davis, fine. Only one man has beaten O'Hara Davis, and that is Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor's a special talent. We've said that many times on this podcast. He's something unique. And after beating O'Hara Davis, he went on to prove it against Miguel Vasquez, right? He went on to prove he's world level. Is O'Hara world level? Not yet. O'Hara right now, in my estimation, is British level. But he can't have the fights he needs to establish that because they're all on Warren shows. So what do you do with O'Hara Davis? You need to find him fights that that benefit him. But in response to the he looks clueless, here's the issue with O'Hara Davis. He's a man with freakishly long arms and legs. And he doesn't box in a way that's advantageous to that. You know, and when he does he looks supremely talented. So O'Hara Davis boxing behind a jab in a one-two, absolutely brilliant, pretty hard to hit and very awkward. 
when he gets into the thing of trying to fight on the inside and trying to throw those 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 combinations you only get from doing that Mayweather pad work, then he gets found out because he can't get the space he needs to work. And it doesn't seem that his training camp, well, current training camp, we don't know what the future holds, are able to solve that problem. And he probably needs to be with trainers who will let him box that full range like because he's got very long arms and he doesn't get the opportunity to do that so I don't, so you're saying ohara looks clueless but you've got to look at what he's actually learning is he learning anything that that's taking him to another level i'm not so sure but he deserves to be because he's got legitimate power in both hands and then all you need to do is find ways to deliver that that's all he needs to do See, when you say really long arms, my brain just instantly goes like some character like Mr. Tickle out of, out of the Mr. Pretty much. So, because so, remember what the ratio you're looking at is. You're looking at height in inches versus reach in inches. Generally, boxers will have a reach two and a half to five and a half inches longer than their height. There are some freaks who have unbelievably long arms. You mean sort of their wingspan? Yes. From from, from okay. side to side. Right, okay. Yeah. So there are some guys who are ridiculously wide like so that. So then, so presumably, then one arm is what half of your height. Um, well, it would be from fingertip to spine. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, and what is this guy? Just freakishly long, like an orangutan or something. Absolutely. He has longer arms than me. <laughs> and. Terry has, I can tell you, if he went to the live show, extremely long. Sometimes he trips over his own hands because they're so long, his arms. So Yeah, I just walk on them. <laughs> um, Trade Fight asks, with Lyndon Arthur signing with Warren, will they build him and Yard as a domestic rivalry? Also, when boxers sit down with a promoter, do they discuss potential matchups to define their careers? Hashtag... New A new ABQ. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um Anthony Yard's a golden boy in the Warren stable, along with Daniel Dubois. And as such, nothing's gonna get in the way of that, so they're not building that. They might have Arthur in as a blocker. That's something Hearn is very good at. So whenever there's someone promising, so when, when Hearn starts to talk about Joshua Bartzi versus Yard fight. You put Arthur in the way and go fight him first so you can get Anthony Yard. So so that that's the role you have unless you prove to be better than the golden boy, which is not very often. And what should boxers be talking to promoters about? You should have a three-year plan because how else are you going to hold a promoter to account? If you don't know what you want to do after year one, year three, and year five, you have absolutely no way of saying to a promoter, you've done well for me or you've done badly for me. You're just at the whim of a promoter and you're buying into the bullshit. And it's your career at the end of the day because there's nothing more boring than hearing boxers say, I wasn't getting the fights I wanted. I wasn't getting the attention I wanted. When they, number one, they don't read their own contracts. Number two, they don't even set expectations. They don't get their promoter to buy into those expectations. and They don't get them agreed. So how do you expect to have a career if you don't have a plan yourself? And if you do have a plan, why would you not share it with your promoter? Stephen Mark asks, what are the chances of Eddie Hearn orchestrating a move up in weight for Danny Jacobs to challenge... Uh, what's his name? Caleb Truex. 
There you go. For the IBF super middleweight on Matchroom USA. None. I think I might be wrong on this, but didn't Jacobs go from being a Heyman fighter to being a Hearn fighter? Because I don't imagine Heyman will be doing him any favours at all. Um, expect DeGale to rematch with Truex because deep down there's more money in having DeGale hold the belt than Truex hold the belt. That's the reality because you can put you can put that defeat down to James just having a tough camp. He had a bad shoulder. Gets a bit more time for the shoulder to heal, get his confidence back, and then he should beat Truex. And then that sets him up to fight someone like a Eubank Jr. And all Heyman's looking at is, what, where can I get the most money? Jacobs versus Truex for that belt is utterly meaningless. Like, Jacobs' biggest fight at the moment is a Billy Joe Saunders fight or a Golovkin rematch. I don't think Hearn can make either of those fights happen. He won't have the budget considering what he has to pay for AJ fights and Kell Brook fights. Yestinif. Oh, that's probably not the right way to pronounce it. Yestin5001 is his Twitter handle. Fighters to watch out for. In 2018, who are not with Warren, uh, Warren or Hearn? You're not I'm, getting I'm, to breathe here, are you? You're getting constant. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go on Martin Theobald on this one and say Linus Adofi has won. I remember when Martin was talking about Linus, and I was like, I honestly, I'll be honest, I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, you small hall monkey, you love all of this stuff, don't you? But. <laughs> But deep, but then, but then, I think once you spend time around Linus, you realize number one, you realize physically he's a very solid man. So he could be bigger than one sixty, and it wouldn't affect his performance. So he's he's actually really he looks really strong at at one sixty. So I don't, I, you know, he's he's big boned at one sixty compared to others. So he's dangerous at that weight. Number he's two, got thick bones. Yeah, you can tell. Number two, he can actually box. He gets it. He's he's intelligent enough without being intellectual in the ring. So he's got that. And thirdly, he's actually a really nice person to be around. And I think that's that's often an important thing because when you're in camp with someone, when they make you feel good to be around them, you'll normally do more for them. So Linus is probably on that list. Yeah, see, I, see I've met Linus and, and Linus is a really nice guy but I have not met many boxers so so when you say Linus is a nice guy in comparison to other boxers that is what so that's not what most boxers are like now no then what are they mostly like then generally speaking um, naming well, no names it's, it's a spectrum but they're quite basic because boxing's been their whole life they've never really broadened their horizons beyond boxing but you can talk to Linus about a range of things and that's always good because sometimes you get bored of talking about boxing. So I, so he's one. Um, I've mentioned this name before. Chris Conger's not signed to either. And at 147, I'm struggling to see anyone with this level of experience that beats him. So I know he's not signed. He, he signed to Mo Pryor, but that doesn't, I don't think that counts for this purpose. Um, one who's a bit hit and miss, Richie Riakpo. I think Richie's got the the game and the power to win. I'm always cynical about guys who train out of Miguel's because I don't know if the coaching and the education is where it needs to be in order for you to be a world champion. So I'd question that. 
Um, and then I'm trying to think who's pulling up trees outside of the the big leagues. It's tricky because normally they get hoovered up. Um, Liam Cameron with Dennis Hobson. He's now Commonwealth champion at middleweight. So he's looking at Elliot Matthews with Glee. So there's another guy. Uh, I'm never sure if Mark Heffron signed either. But so there are a few interesting names floating around. Uh, Lewis Ritson's now signed to Matchroom, so we can't count Lewis Ritson. Can we call Martin Bacoli? Because I know Billy Nelson talks highly of Martin Bacoli, but he needs to have a test this year. If Martin Bacoli and Joe Joyce can be matched together for February or at some point this year, we might have to start believing Martin Bacoli is a real deal. Okay, a brief interlude there has been had by me, not that you'd know because nothing's happened, but I had to get a coffee so that I perk up. Game One up. more name to add to the list of prospects, Dan Aziz. So, Dan Aziz at light heavyweight, signed to MTK. All kinds of power in those hands. You know, it'll be exciting. Like When, when he relaxes in the ring and just lets the shots go, a lot of people are going to be bloodied and bruised. Okay, let's move on to other things that I can actually talk about. Which is, which is Ollie's boxing handle. Oh, quirky. Kurt asks, what's the pods thinking behind Fury now wanting AJ as his next fight? Is it a cash out? And I actually think this is quite an interesting look, an interesting angle to take on that because I hadn't considered that, uh, which wouldn't surprise many people. But actually, you know what? I just thought, could it be? Because that is going to be a massive fight, no matter what happens. Yes, it won't have the same sort of, it won't have, have the same pizzazz as it would if Fury came back and, you know, won two or three fights convincingly and then fought AJ. But whenever it happens, it's going to be a big fight. So, is that possible? Because I saw him. I saw him. Sorry to cut you off just before I asked that question. Uh, you answer it. Sorry. I watched a little um, clip of him. Billy Joe Saunders and somebody else punching a bag the other day. Did you see the video? And yeah. it looked like he was punching through treacle. It was pow- painful to watch how slow he was. Um, so, all those things put out there. Saber rattling. So, it all turns on what happened in the phone call between AJ and Fury. Uh, we've, we've all heard various takes on what was said in that phone Sorry, call. So, there was a phone call, was there? There was. AJ rang Fury with, with basically trying to go, look, you need to stop talking shit about me. And Fury's response was, don't phone me. You can tell me where you are. I'll come down and we can fight on the street as men. AJ was like, I, th- I, th- I think the message from AJ was, I know some very serious people around here. You don't want to mess with me. And Fury, being one of the Furies and with the connections they have both in Ireland and in the northwest of England, were honest and said, we can come down and sort any issue out if you really want to. And I think at that point, AJ realized he might be outgunned in this and backed down. So I think I think in Fury's head, he now realizes AJ is actually quite soft in terms of when you really put it on top. So he's now, it's a psychological ploy. It's, I'm going to keep Joshua un, under that thumb now. He bottled it on the phone call. And until he comes with some kind of aggression, he's soft to me. Tyson Fury knows he needs at least four or five fights. 
two easy, three quite challenging before he can say, I'm back to my optimum fighting condition and fighting mindset. So before that, he's not fighting AJ because he he dare not lose to AJ. So I don't think he's cashing out because MTK aren't involved for a short-term fix. This is a long-term thing. And Fury has great value in drawing other fighters to the stable. So expect him to be around for a little while longer. So, but he wants to be. So the whole, the whole um, mechanism behind him wants more out of him. And he's willing to put more in, you think, yeah? I don't think he has a choice. I certainly hope that he's in for more because, well, narratively, it's the most exciting thing that can happen to the heavyweight division at the moment. I think, I think Wilder Joshua's the most exciting fight that could happen. Um, well, yeah, all right. Because, okay. because Touché, yeah. the, the vulnerabilities there. Both men could fall over. Yeah, okay. But, but in terms of something, maybe I meant the UK boxing scene. I didn't see anyone coming out of the woodwork to challenge Joshua in any legitimate fashion. Dangerous Daniel... Dubois. Yeah, well, I said that from the start, mate. So, uh, yeah, you didn't agree with me at the time, but I said to you, no. You, you did. <laughs> you were first with it, man. Like, you, you were the guy that told me he was a press-up world champion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was brilliant. That was a brilliant video. Uh, so that clip good. is from... Oh, God. Well, what, it's five years ago? No, it's 2011. That clip is... I think. So, well, six, seven years. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a while ago. When when Daniel Dubois was fighting as a schoolboy at fifty-seven kilograms, just let that sink in, people. Fifty-seven kilograms. Wow. So he has boxed up the weights, guaranteed, right? But yeah, but he would have been an he would have been a child at that point, though, right? Yeah. Presumably, at one point, he was he weighed about ten pounds. At one point in his life, I, well, well, I want, I want proof of that. <laughs> his poor mother, fifty-seven kilo child, he'll be a boxer. But, but there's nothing. No, so he's got a little brother who's now going through the same process Daniel went through, and he's looking terrifying as well. So it, it, it looks like that's going to be that that fighting dynasty, maybe like the Mackenzies. Okay. Um, Josh Finch asks, who wins between Mikey Garcia and Jorge Linares? Mikey Garcia, easily. Really? Jorge Linares is soft, mentally, he's fragile. Are they fighting, though? It looks like it's going to happen in the summer. Ooh. So that will be, you know, that will be style over substance. Like, Linares looks good against British fighters because they're limited. When he fights anyone else, anyone who wants to really stick it to him, he ends up getting cut, battered and bruised. And he tends to just quit mentally. I think Mikey Garcia is a sort of stoic, consistent, and aggressive boxer who can break Jorge Linares down. And I don't, it definitely doesn't see the final bell. I expect Linares to get stopped in under seven rounds. John Bailey asks the World Boxing Super Series concept so far, has it been successful for boxing? Where is it heading for the next tournament, etc.? It's been an absolute hit because no one's dropped out and we're kind of getting the fights we wanted to see. So by the time this tournament is done, a lot of questions would have been answered just from a British perspective in the super middleweights. 
and globally we will have one man with all the belts at the end of the World Boxing Super Series. That's great for Cormoza, the organizers, and the World Boxing Super Series. The problem you're going to have is who's giving up their fighters next year to make someone else's platform massive at the expense of their own platform. So Heyman fighters won't be there. Whatever weight class they do, Heyman won't put anyone on there who he has faith in. I don't think Hearn will. If, let's say, Callum Smith eventually gets knocked out, I don't think Hearn will put anyone else in there unless he doesn't believe in them. And Warren will have no involvement in that. So you'll end up essentially with almost like a money ball league where you get guys who are talented but unrepresented just jumping in there for the money. So I don't... I, I, I can't see why you would make someone else's platform unbelievably successful. And the governing bodies must hate this because the World Boxing Super Series is definitive. There's one man who's crowned winner. It's not He's not one of four. One man. So, yeah, I... I I think they'll let it go for a year, maybe let it go a couple of times while promoters allow their fighters to get a profile that they don't have to invest in, and then bang, they'll How pull the plug on it. Have we just been lucky this time around that some of the most high-profile boxers included in this series are not um, are not promoted by Hearn and Warren? And, and Heyman. So and in, Heyman. in the cruiserweights, because no one really sees money in the cruiserweights, the fights were easy to make it tends to be a European division, if we're being honest. The cruiserweights, just like the super middleweights, are European divisions. That's why they were easy to make. When you get into what I call the classical weights, your heavyweights, your light heavies, your middleweights, your welterweights, your lightweights. I don't pay. That's where, yeah, that's where the cash cows are, unfortunately. And you're going to have a far tougher time getting them on board. Unless the fans demand it. Once the fans start saying the World Boxing Super Series is the source of truth, then boxers will want to be involved. But to some extent, it's it's kind of chicken and egg, isn't it? Like it's not they're not going to think that until it's legitimised by high-profile boxers taking part. And if if a promoter was of a frame of mind that he wanted to quell that appetite, then it would be all he'd have to do is just starve it of attention for as long as possible and just hope that it goes quiet. But look at the cruiserweights as an example. You have the best cruiserweights fighting in the World Boxing Super Series. The fans all accept the winner of this is the number one cruiserweight on earth. And the World Boxing Super Series has given that clarity. That Text message. That wasn't my phone, no. Dinner's uh, <laughs> ready. No, so... So I think I think we've already reached a point where the concept is proven. It's just about whether the fans will demand it so strongly that promoters have no choice but to play ball. Well, let's hoping, let's hope so. Um, Damien Taylor asks, "What is the likelihood of Hearn and Warren fighters being matched in 2018? Matched together? Um, probably not much. I think Frank is definitely in a building phase." I know he wants Zelani Tete versus Ryan Burnett. Uh, that's a fight we'd all like to see because that will bring clarity of some form or other. Um, if Flanagan were to beat M- Morris Hooker, you'd want to see Flanagan versus Burns or Flanagan versus Crawler. There, there are all these fights that could be made, but I don't think the two men can put their egos aside for sufficiently long 
to deliver that fight. And it's ridiculous. And as fans, we've allowed this to happen for too long. It's frustrating. It's annoying. But we've set and accepted this for too long. These fights need to happen. The board should be mandating some of these fights happen because that's the easiest way to make them happen. You know, announce the fights for the British titles, the English titles, the regional titles, and put them to purse bids. And let's just see who really wants it. And we'll, we'll find out who the problem is if we do it that way. I just want to give a shout out to New Covent Garden Soup Company. Terry has just demolished a pint of soup of. What I love the fact is that it's you've just drank classic chicken and they feel the need on the back of the carton to put not suitable for vegetarians. <laughs> yeah, just in case. You, know, <laughs> you might be wobbling going, maybe chicken's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Tastes a bit like oyster mushrooms. In fairness though, only 6% of it was actually chicken. So, yeah, it really should be... Let's not dwell on what the other 94% was. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I really do. Not suitable for vegetarians. Oh, rats. Another chicken product that I can't eat as a vegetarian. What were the chances of that? Um, okay. <laughs> My attention span has somewhat dwindled. I feel like I'm getting close to Martin's attention span level, having not been able to do this for... A couple of well, yeah. You haven't you haven't got your your ring sharpness back. Oh yeah, I just need this checking off that ring rust, isn't it? Um, LDN box asks, why did Al Heyman come up with something like the super? Se- why didn't he come up with a super serious format instead of squandering half a billion on his PBC banner and uh, now showing his major fights on Showtime? I think it's a valid question. Sorry to rephrase that. Is why didn't? Yeah, I think it's like it's, it's a typo. So. Well, so- so if we go back to what Heyman was trying to do, Heyman was trying to replicate the UFC model in boxing because he saw where the UFC was headed. The UFC was always headed to an institutional sale. So when they sold up for $4 billion, that was always where it was headed. And Heyman thought, we'll do it in stages. Sign up the best talent available in the most competitive divisions, which essentially means he makes the fights. And the expectation was you'd offer various tiers of fights. So you'd have your pay-per-view fights. Examples being, you know, of a, of a level of significance of a... I know this wasn't pay-per-view and it probably should have been. Like a Danny Garcia, Keith Thurman. And then you've got your lower level fights, which would be a Luis Colaza versus a Victor Ortiz, for example. And then you've got your prospects coming up. So he had those three tiers and that's how he was going to monetize it. There's going to be pay-per-view at the top. In that middle tier, hopefully the the gate revenue would cover the cost of the shows. And then at the lower tier, you'd be carried by the upper two layers. The problem is boxing is not as linear as the UFC. The UFC could hoover up the best talent and then just keep them. Heyman struggled to do that. Um, you know, you had boxers fighting once a year and it was unacceptable. So in his head, his model would have worked. If he could have secured the heavyweights, secured the middleweights, and maybe secured the welterweights, he'd had to secure that for three years, but it would have worked and he could have sold the PBC as a concept by saying, look, we've got these guys under contract for five years, so you, you can monetize that. But he didn't have sufficient control. He would have needed a PBC belt and that PBC belt would have had to supersede the governing bodies. And I don't think he got to that point. And whether he squandered half a billion, uh, not necessarily. There's a fair bit of it left from what I'm hearing. 
so exclude business models. Let's almost go into like a fantasy realm here. If you could control one thing, what well, I say, is there one thing that could make boxing joined up thinking, like uh, joined up thinking happen in boxing? And what I mean is, so I'm, I'm getting at it, something along the lines of, if there was one governing body, would that change everything? If it were, no, because there used to be one governing body. And the reason you had more than one governing body was people holding belts hostage. How did you do that? Um, you have a mandatory, oh, I broke my hand. Um, probably not best to fight my mandatory next time you have a warm-up fight. You have a quite a lucrative warm-up fight against somebody. And your mandatory gets called again, you get injured. Right, okay. So you end up just taking the piss. And so when there was one belt, the mob could control it. And so that's why other governing bodies came up because it was, the WBA was so in bed with the Americans that the Mexicans were like, we're not getting a fair crack here. And then, you know, then you know, I think it was the Panamanians and Nicaraguans, well, we need our own governing body. And then the Americans said, well, shit, let's give ourselves our own governing body, hence the IBF. And then the WBO were like, we need a governing body that will cater towards a more lucrative market that's not saturated already. So they start to look towards Europe and the Far East. And IBO coming through for what reason? Um, well, variety. Let's do something different. Um, if there's four, five doesn't really hurt that model. It's not like you're going from one to two. You go from four to five. It's not really that incremental and overhead to absorb. It's frustrating, as as I've know, always sure said. Many boxers have said before me, and many boxing fans said before me, I, and will do after I, me. I've said this. This is what I would do in boxing, and I know Steve Goodman's going to be listening at this point and go, well, ah, here, "Here goes Terry again." This is what I would do. I'd have a law that says you can only you can only box under the auspices of England boxing. Well. You get England boxing, Welsh boxing, Scottish boxing, and the amateurs. Or if you're paid, it's under the auspices of the British Boxing Board of Control. Any other boxing event will be deemed illegal. Once you do that, you hand control of entry and exit into boxing to the British Boxing Board of Control. I would then say to the British Boxing Board of Control, you have a limited number of licenses you can grant every year. And what would that mean? It would mean... All these prospects, all these guys that want to box would have to prove themselves before they would be, get given a license. And you could even have a draft system where promoters could draft fighters. Or it commoditizes boxing licenses and makes them purchasable effectively. Well, no, it doesn't. Because that's to assume that you can't purchase an NBA draft. Like, you know, you, 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 can, you, can, you can flip it in terms of, I'll let you pick first. But essentially, the fighters will still have to prove their their metal before they're given a license to participate and that would filter out some of the stuff that becomes either dangerous or embarrassing for the sport and i know the first question someone's going to ask me is where do you get your journeyman from and I'm, i'll be honest i'll say lithuania like you always do um, is as anything in boxing outside of the amateurs and the olympics has there ever been any sort of team format tried no, but like you've got stuff like the Queensbury Boxing League, which I think they fight like at an Epsom Downs Racecourse or whatever it is. But that's that's that sort of unlicensed, but they try and tell you it's not. 
but it's not great. Um, you got obviously you got some of the other unlicensed shows around the country which aren't great either. It's just I'm just trying to look at like for example, you look at golf. For me, I'm not interested in golf at all really until the Ryder Cup. And then I actually become interested. And I wondered if you had something along similar lines with, with boxing, if you had Europe versus United States for X, Y, and Z and had like that. Only in the amateurs. It's only in the amateurs. It's, yeah. I find that frustrating, but and I suppose. They tried it in prize fighter as well. enough as it is. But they tried that in prize fighter as well, where they got the Americans over against the Brits. It doesn't seem to work as well. I think in boxing. We accept it's not a team sport, so adding a team dynamic isn't of great value. What boxing actually is, is is two individuals, and at all times you want competitive fights. Fans just want competitive fights. That's it. Um, Paul Altai asks, when you see high-profile names doping, do you think they're full camp nodes, including promoter, etc.? My immediate thought, I'll give Terry a second to... Uh, a sort of compose um compile his thoughts on the matter my thought would be if they wanted to yes but i imagine they take a healthy scoop of um uh, of selective ignorance and uh, and even if they you know they just go oh i don't want to know that would be my guess yeah um if i was a promoter i wouldn't delve too deep um, I might see some needles lying around. I'm just going to be like, don't know what that's all about. Well, well somebody in your camp must have diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what you'll do. But the, the, the key thing with doping is you want to keep the circle as small as possible. So normally the structure is you have someone that procures the substances. You need someone sufficiently trained to administer those and to understand what dosages are required. But you also need a facility that's going to monitor your blood to make sure that you're not in the red zone in anything. So it's being able to just make sure that you're getting the right effects. And then obviously your day-to-day trainer will need to know what you're on to work out, how much they can load you or overload you. But you normally want to keep that quite small. So you'd have the same core of people who knew that about everybody. So you wouldn't have four different groups for four different fighters. Well, the exception I would say to this was this with cycling, um, albeit a different sport, Etc. Etc. Um, yeah, the caveats go on and on there, but essentially, in cycling with Lance Armstrong, that circle was was fairly massive. He had blokes in different countries administrative uh, administering administrative. Oh, I don't know what, what I'm trying to administering. say. Administering. There you go. Thank you. Um, um, they so they call it blood doping, don't they? Where it'll take a pint of blood of your own blood, yeah. you refrigerate it, and then. Uh, two or three weeks later when your body's regenerated that and you come to match day or whatever it is, you then re-administer that blood and it gives you that... That EPO it mimics boost. EPO boost, yeah. So it gives you more blood, which then gives you more red blood cells, which gives you more of an, um, uh, an oxygen-rich bloodstream. Exactly. So... But but you had people in Spain doing it. You had people running errands to pick up things on uh, because obviously on cycling you're you're going especially on Tour de France you're at different locations. People picking up packages, teammates that knew about it that were then being told to you know quiet down and stuff like that. So I think it very much depends on the how. Sport. Yes, it really depends on the sport. Because boxing is localized. How how confident you are that you're not going to get court no not necessarily like with the tour de france the biggest risk is transporting stuff over borders right 
You don't you don't want to get caught at the border with a fuckload of blood and a fuckload of EPO. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to get caught true. with that. So so it's easier to have it in each country. It's actually the mechanism of the sport that means you do that. Whereas with boxing, I'm training out of one location. I train in that same location every time. I might I might train somewhere in South Yorkshire, for example, you know, but I'm always gonna train there. <laughs> that means that means the routine is pretty much nailed, right? <laughs> I build the edifice, I build my doping edifice, procurement, administration, monitoring, and delivery, right? I build that edifice, and all I do is I plug boxes into it. That's all we do, is we just plug them in. That's the notion of the spreadsheet. So I know what Andy White needs to take at any given moment. We make sure that's okay, and we're just checking you in reference to you. You don't need that bigger group to do that, because you can just keep it in one location. Um, so we mentioned Humble Pie in the in the past um on the live show i had my sister bake a humble pie right so and i it forgot a, it <laughs> yeah i actually ate it in the end by the way <laughs> so, <laughs> you turned down that humble pie so terry won a humble pie we, we did the argue the inarguable when terry won based on cheers from the audience cheers and jeers um terry won with the level of cheers that he got and i presented him with his humble pie which actually had humble written on it Love with loving care from my yeah. sister. I know, and, uh, <laughs> and so I presented to Terry. Well, for Martin, I presented Jim um, Joe Gallagher's dog's dinner, right? And it was a tin of pedigree chum. And he looked like he was going to eat it for right. a second, right? But I'll let you into a secret. What I did was right, and Martin knew this. I'd oh. bought some. I'd bought some Prince's stewing steak, and I'd switched the labels so that I could so that so that it looked like dog food, right? So I told Martin this, and then when it came to the live show, <laughs> I said, do you want to try some? And I peel back the lid. Now, bearing in mind, it says Pedigree Chum at this point, but inside it is Prince's Stewing Steak, which is designed for people, I suppose <laughs> is the best way to describe it. I take a plastic spoon that I've pre-packed, scoop up the steak, and I go to give it to him, and people in the audience are oh my God, he's going to eat it, he's going to eat it. At this point, right... <laughs> Martin then assumes that I've double bluffed him. And this, is actually, <laughs> this is actually dog food. <laughs> and I'm going to make him eat dog food in front of 45 people. I thought to myself, right, I know what kind of mate you are then, judging me by your own standards. Fucking brilliant. Afterwards, I was like, no, it wasn't really dog food. I was doing, I wouldn't do that. And he was like, oh, I thought you double bluffed me just so you could make me eat dog food live on <laughs> stage. The funniest part about that is if you've ever seen dog food out of a tin, it doesn't look remotely like stewing steak in gravy. Dogs don't get fed that well. It's just chicken heads and fucking bull testicles in a tin with jelly. But I just found it quite amusing that Martin was so paranoid that he thought I was going to double bluff him. And he went, no, 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 I don't want any. That's what being in boxing does to you. Uh, yeah, that's true, actually, yeah. LDM Box asks, would it be uh, an introduce an idea to introduce a judge cam so scoring can be reconciled post fight according to their view of the fight in relation to controversial decisions that seems like a mental decision to me but well look, but you know. the problem with boxing is fancy they know better than judges i think you have to judge a fight you're not saying well, in any sport though yes it, it, so 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 i come from a rugby background and when 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 it goes to the tmo we all have a different view. So there's things I'll look at and I'll go, 
I think he's on his feet there. And someone will go, no, no, he's not really supporting his weight. I'm like, yes, he is. Oh, no, we don't, we don't even agree. So who am I to tell a, 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 T, a TMO or in, a, in boxing's case, a judge, you've got it wrong? Because I think there should always be a two rounds tolerance. If you're within two rounds of the general consensus, you're fine. Is there a debate as to what is a scoring punch in professional boxing? Could you? Is there is there wiggle room within that? That's like a scoring point, a punch. A scoring punch technically is any punch landed with a knuckle part of the glove on the target area, which is the head or the body. And is that professional or amateur? Both. Right. Okay. Now there are punches like I could hit you in the arm. And if you wince, that's got to be a scoring punch. It's had an effect, right? Right, okay. But it's not really on the target area. But how can I not reward it? So what you end up finding is judges develop their own heuristics by which they evaluate these fights. And they probably couldn't tell you consciously how they do it. But it's almost like an algorithm in their head where they can read what the fight, what's going on in the fight. So is this the whole, like, if you have a blistering last 30 seconds of every round, sometimes you can steal the round? That's bullshit. You, like, like, when people say that, that's, 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 that's people like Darren Barker talking out their backside. Really, you're, you're asking yourself Sorry. at the end of the round, who do I want to give that round to? And you're, you're taking the whole point of it. Whether it cambers towards the last minute over the first minute, it depends on what you do in the first minute. So what, what I guess what I'm trying to say is it's so subjective and it's so loaded in experience and what you've done before that it's difficult to hold someone to, to account for what is essentially an opinion. Boxing is not factual. It is an opinion. Uh, okay. Uh, Darren... Uh Dave McGinley, apologies, Dave. Aye, um, that's that. That's that, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, he was there. He was actually Martin presented him with a red carpet, which I had to go and buy. And what I'd like to add is that you could, when I turned up at this carpet shop for a small offcut of red carpet, he the bloke said to me, "Sorry, we don't do offcuts. All we do is carpet that is seven feet wide." He said, "You can have as much as the." Le- Whatever length you wish to have, you can have. I was like, right. So unless I want two centimeters, le- like actually, in 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 actuality, it would be it end up being two centimeters wide and seven feet long, right? I, was like, I don't need that. What I need is something approximately square, so that he could, Martin could present it to him. I ended up having to buy a roll of carpet that was two foot wide and seven foot long, <laughs> just for Martin to just go. There you go, Dave. And gave him his tiny bit of carpet. <sighs> yep. Useful. I hope he's kept it though. Uh, I think we. I have the carpet in my loft actually. That's a shame. I thought he'd take it and actually have it under his desk at work. Yeah, that would be nice actually. I mean, Dave. That would have been touch. a real gesture of loyalty. You can. Ha- we'll happily send you some royal, some new age boxing royal red carpet. <laughs> official merchandise fact, that, that could be something that we give away to you know great questions or whatever some red carpet loyalty from just people who are loyal to us loyal to the cause <laughs> loyal um, he asks 2018 predictions and also a wish list <sighs> now you need to be we've got about 15-20 minutes before we need to leave so we'll We'll be slagging Joshua off again. Although I'm going to say 2017 was the year I became a Joshua fan, but fans will be slagging Joshua off. We'll be slagging Hearn off for not making the fights. I think Matchroom USA 
will start to die a death. I think Warren will keep building an impressive stable. Um, you know, he's definitely got the the better younger prospects coming through. I think America will continue to hemorrhage revenue um, until they crack their model. And also, start to expect streaming to be clamped down on aggressively, like they did with music. So like when they came after the people using Napster, Audio Galaxy, etc., expect that to start happening with streaming because it's eating away at the revenue model and now people are starting to realise it's it's not sustainable because people would rather stream most of these pay-per-view events and watch them and it's costing people money. I'm trying to think in terms of fights. Don't expect Fury in any massive fights. I expect AJ will fight Parker and then we'll find some way to fight a mandatory, probably Pulev. We don't care about either one of those fights. Uh, Wilder hopefully knocks out Ortiz and then... You know, I have no idea where Wilder goes after that because once you've done Ortiz, there's no one really to wipe out. So all we'll be hoping for is that Daniel Dubois keeps fighting in 2018 and poses a credible threat to AJ. Billy Joe will hopefully get Golovkin or Canelo and we can sort of, you know, put that chapter to rest. I want Groves to win the World Boxing Super Series and then move up in weight and start being competitive at 175. Be interesting to see how he is when he can move up in weight. But bro, they're my predictions and my wish list, I think. James Sunderland asks more of a question, so apologies. This is in reference to your do not ask questions, ask for themes. Yeah, themes. But is there an argument for Parker if slash when AJ gasses? Parker seems fit and strong over 12, just not sure he has the power thoughts with AJ look if you're saying he's going to gas out you don't really need the power what you need to be able to do is not take punishment that's the problem everyone has with AJ is they buy into this thing that he's big and he's slow but what AJ essentially is is a combination puncher that's how he does most of his damage one two left hook high left hook low or he reverses that order of left hooks he did it against Molina and took him apart because if you watch the Molina fight, Molina thought he could roll the shoulder and dip. And once AJ figured out that's all Molina had, he started to bring the left hook down. And then after that, Molina was just looking for a way out because he realized his plan wasn't going to work. I think the way you beat Joshua if you're Parker is a lot of dipping and rolling. A lot of dipping and rolling, changing the angle, throwing hooks to the body, hooks to the head. You have to outthrow Anthony Joshua to beat him. Now, has Parker got fitness if he has to start throwing 50 or 60 shots around? I'm not sure about that. And that's what he needs to train for. My instincts are he's coming to hand the belt over for a decent payday. That's my that's what I think. He he will have no ambition in this fight. He doesn't believe he can win. His team don't believe he can win. He didn't that, believe he could beat the Fury. Huey yeah, Fury. That's why they're quibbling face. over money now. They want to get paid. And I know David Higgins is talking about the rematch is 55-45. There will be no rematch after this fight. Rest assured, there will be no rematch. Well, it'd be a waste of time. I'd be frustrated if he fought Parker, blew him out, and then it was like, but he has a, a, a rematch clause in his contract. Fuck off, Parker. Yeah, but even if Parker won, I don't think AJ would take the rematch because the only way you're really going to beat AJ is if he gasses out and you just take him out. 
like my personal opinion is Parker's bang average. I thought he struggled against Fury, even though Fury was awkward. I just all he did was just fucking f- walk forwards. And if you walk forwards against AJ, you're going to get pulverized. But my, and my that's personal. the point. If you if you can't fight in multiple dimensions against AJ, you can't do anything because he will just flood you with traffic and he's bigger and stronger than most heavyweights. But you have to be able to throw those 50 or 60 punches around because when you make him defend, make him retreat, that's what drains the tank. But no one's really bothered with that yet. Uh, Sam Khan asks, biggest hurdles for amateurs to turn over to the professional scene, especially if you're not in Team GB? Yeah, so if you're Team GB... In in order, you go to Matchroom, you go to Warren, or you find a regional promoter. That's generally how it works. If you're not in Team GB, if you're not in Team GB, you got to hustle. You got to hustle hard. So you ideally want some form of national title, even if it's just a schoolboy or junior title. That's always good. Senior title probably preferable. And then you got to find you got to find a way to make a living from this. So you got to find a promoter who will back you you've got to find a team around you who will help you grow a profile but in terms of and i think this is what sam probably meant in terms of the adjustment it's learning to do more with less in the ring so as an amateur especially the way it's currently structured it's literally you punch i punch you punch i punch you punch i punch and it's just about how accurate we are in our in our relative exchanges when you get to the pros, it's more strategic. You're, you're trying to work openings. You're, you're moving variables around because you have more time, which you don't have in the amateurs. So you're moving variables around. I'm trying to nullify. If someone's got a powerful right hand, I'm trying to nullify that. If they've got a good left hook, I want to nullify that. And it's learning that ring craft, which we don't teach in this country. And that's what takes the biggest amount of time. It's learning actually... How do I establish control in the ring? How do I remain effective in the ring? And that's what they mean, that difference between amateur and pro style. Okay, we are, we're coming to the end of this um, pre-season friendly, as what I'd like to call it. Nice. Um, pre, <laughs> as we shake our frame ring rust and me and Mr. Chepandama do our best to fill the void before I'm just doing my exercise here. <laughs> before Mr. Theobald comes back. Raging. Mayor Brixton asks, what are you most looking forward to this year? Um, Cody Chamberlain, Groves Eubank, Joshua Parker, Golovkin Canelo, Fury Return, all of hashtags. So Cody Chamberlain, I'm looking forward to because if this is a success, it creates the argument that we should have more of these fights. And just look at the cruiserweights at the moment. You've got... All in around the same age and same level of experience. You've got Lawrence Okoli, Isaac Chamberlain, Richard Riakpour, Chris Billum-Smith. Um, you've got Luke Watkins, who's got a belt. Arfan Iqbal. But in Norway, you've got a young kid, kid called Simon Nasata. And British fans of the amateur scene know who he is because they know what he did at the Harringay Box Cup. He was unlucky not to make it to the Rio, Olymp- Rio Olympics in 2016. Hell of a boxer, absolutely stacked at the weight, has got skill for days. I expect him to be over in the UK shores fighting a lot of these young prospects soon. And I'd be very afraid because the kid can box 
and he's being trained by Kelvin and Nigel Travis up in Manchester, which is a hell of a camp. Um, you know, big fan of Nigel Travis. His dad, Kelvin Travis, used to be the England amateur coach for years as well. Uh, any other business? Um, no, just looking at the news, really interesting. Lolenga Mock beat Dmitry Chudinov last night. I think it was last night. Now, why is this interesting? People know Dmitry Chudinov for being wiped out by Chris Eubank Jr. But before that, Dmitry Chudinov was a competent middleweight. Now he's a super mid. And Lolenga Mock was 45 years old when he won yesterday. And why is Lolenga Mock important? Go, go on YouTube and type in Lolenga Mock David Hay. It's only four rounds, but watch those four rounds and tell me what you think. Um, okay, Martin, I mean, Tartin, the Meabold, um, you did ask some more questions, but we they were covered in subsequent listener questions and they trump his questions. So, um, or we, we did ask, will the loser of Chamberlain versus Akoli still be a matchroom fighter this time next year? I would expect the answer to that to be no. But only if Chamberlain loses. Um, Okoli, I think we've established now, is an AJ boxing fighter and Chamberlain is a matchroom fighter. Does Hearn really have any mileage in Chamberlain if he loses? Probably not. He's now so in bed with this idea that he's got to develop his Olympians that I don't think he has any interest for non-Olympians. And I, it's sad, but I think that's just the way matchroom are going at the moment. Okay, that is our show. Thank you very much for listening. I'm going to work, so not that you'll know, but this will be uploaded tomorrow which will be for you today but regardless we've come we've come across time problems on this podcast before the fact is when you do get it it'll be because i was on nights so apologies for that but once again it is free so whatever um (laughs) um yes apologies we couldn't be in full strength today but it's coming. But don't worry, there are no big bouts for ages yet. So we don't have to get too excited. Man. Not, not until the Hobson show. Then we can get super amped and excited about that. Mr. Chapandama, thank you very much for your time. One last thing. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be a show without, without that. Anyone think, so. going up to the Groves Eubank fight in Manchester, let us know, right? And let's try and organise something on the Saturday where we can all just, you know, pull together have a couple of drinks and then move up to the venue because uh, I imagine everyone will be staying in the city centre anyway and it's all within walking distance so yeah just anyone just let us know if you're going what your plans are and we can try and coordinate something Magico thank you very much for listening and we will see you cut it next cut week. it cut it Watch it.